welcome to The Storied Human. I'm going to do a solo episode today on Mother's Day. It's not a super typical happy Mother's Day episode. So if that's not on your agenda, maybe you should listen next week because um, it's an interesting story, very personal story about my family. And it just sort of overshadows Mother's Day for me. And I want to reach out to people um, who who didn't have perfect mothers or, you know, had mothers who had issues. My mother was a great mother. Um, I wrote a piece for Medium. I'm going to read it to you. But my mother had a mother who wasn't a great mother. Not her fault. She struggled with mental illness. But let me just tell you a little bit about Mother's Day. Uh, Mother's Day, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Mother's Day was invented in 1907 by Anna Jarvis. Originally meant simply as a day to honor mothers, it expanded to include others who mother and became a national holiday in 1914, which meant it became a more commercial card-buying giving holiday, which, quote, Jarvis spent the last years of her life trying to abolish the holiday she had brought into being. I never heard this before. Isn't this sad? Even the creator of Mother's Day thought it had grown into something too commercial. If you want to tune into my Medium article, which I will post the link in the show notes of this episode, you can read more about um, Anna Jarvis and her experience with Mother's Day. Now, Mother's Day can be very tough for those whose mothers have passed away. I know it's a, a bittersweet day for me. My mother passed away 21 years ago, almost. Or for those who have living mothers who are less than ideal or even abusive. There is such hype around this holiday, and the smarmy, overly emotional posts on social media can be a bit much. Not everyone's mother is this sainted figure, you know? And it can be lonely when your mother doesn't match everything you see around you, the hype. I had a really good mother, especially considering that she did not have an especially good mother. My grandmother was mentally ill. <coughs> Excuse me. She was diagnosed with schizophrenia sometime in her 30s, I think. She struggled all her life with it and had to be hospitalized for six of my mother's childhood years, age six through 12. My grandmother did get a bit better and was able to be out of the hospital for several years. There are pictures of her with my mom at my parents' wedding, and she posed with her mother and mine and baby me for a four-generations photo. She held it together until my grandfather, her husband, died in 1959. That triggered her illness to return, and she had to be committed again. Sadly, she never was able to leave the mental hospital. She died there three years later in 1962 at the age of 53. So those photos I mentioned, they hint at this life I could have had with her. I could have had those picnics, those visits. I could have had that. And she could have had that. And my mother could have had that. And as I get older, I really appreciate the hole in my mother's life. I do remember the large brick Allentown State Hospital where my grandmother was. When I was very young, I waited with my father in the car one time when my mother went to see her mother. And how sad that must have been. The whole thing makes me sad now. 
They didn't have the treatment or the drugs they have now. And my mother's family wasn't wealthy. So there were not a lot of options for my grandmother. I know she was sensitive and artistic, that she liked to paint and write poems, that she knew good fabric from shoddy, and that she encouraged my mother and aunt to lose their duchy accents or they wouldn't be able to leave Coopersburg, Pennsylvania. It seemed to me that when she was well, my grandmother, Ethel, had an air of what some call the genteel poor, those lower income people who have upper class sensibilities and good taste. My mother used to wonder what would have happened to her mother if she had been wealthy and able to be cared for privately at home. One wonders. Not much else was said about my grandmother, and she died when I was only four, so I never really knew her. I do remember her, a ghostly figure with white hair. She briefly visited on a weekend that they let her out of the hospital for a little while but I didn't feel connected to her. I remember even as a little girl, she just seemed far away, you know, very aloof. She died in the mental hospital of breast cancer. I tried to get her medical records, but they had put in the new HIPAA laws for privacy by then. And I would have had to hire a lawyer to petition the court in order to see these records. I was stunned that this was my grandmother and I was her closest living relative and I wasn't allowed to see her medical records. My mother had passed a few years before that and could not be asked about it. I was concerned for me and my daughter. I just wanted to know more about my grandmother's illness and her treatment. As it turned out, I did get breast cancer. My dad's sister had it too, so I guess I had an increased risk. My cancer was caught very early, and I only needed a few weeks of radiation, so I was really lucky. But it would have been nice to have those records and at least learn a little more about my grandmother and her illness. The good part of all this is that Allentown State Hospital was part of a movement to humanize and improve mental health services. It first opened in 1901 by the Germantown Homeopathic Medical Society of Philadelphia. In 1904, the cornerstone is placed in a section of East Allentown called Rittersville. It was originally a homeopathic hospital, but gradually shifted to more traditional medicine by 1912 when it was named the Allentown State Hospital. This area of northeastern Pennsylvania had a tradition of more holistic approaches to healing. My first pediatrician was a doctor of osteopath. I remember her because she was a kind, white-haired older lady who looked a lot like my grandma, back then a female doctor. In fact, the School of Osteopathic Medicine is in Philadelphia. It was the third such medical school established in the United States, and it opened in 1899. What is osteopathic medicine? I've included a link in the show notes, but I'll tell you a, a few paragraphs from the, that article. From their first days of medical school, doctors of osteopath are trained to look beyond your symptoms to understand how lifestyle and environmental factors impact your well-being. They practice medicine according to the latest science and technology, but also consider options to complement pharmaceuticals and surgery. As part of their education, DOs receive special training in the musculoskeletal system, your body's interconnected system of nerves, muscles, and bones. By combining this knowledge with the latest advances in medical technology, they offer patients the most comprehensive care available in healthcare today. 
by focusing on prevention and tuning into how a patient's lifestyle environment and environment can impact their well-being, DOs strive to help their patients be truly healthy in mind, body, and spirit, not just free of symptoms. It's becoming a really popular route for students who want to go to medical school because of its holistic approach. So this originated in, in that area, and this was prevalent throughout Bucks County where my mother was raised. So it really was, um, you know, not your typical kind of care that you would have gotten in a, in a mental hospital. It should be noted that when I was 15 months old and not yet walking as my peers were, my parents took me to the pediatrician who was a DO and she told them to leave me be and definitely not walk me, quote unquote, like the other young couples in our neighborhood were doing. Do you know, have you ever seen parents do that where they take the baby's arms and they hold her up and they, they rock her back and forth and walk her? to show her how to do it. It's not very good for them. Um, and she explained how it wasn't good for my legs and I would be bow-legged. Um, it was quite a competition in 1958, who walked first. I love that my mother didn't buy it. I walked soon after that visit and my dad said, I just started to run. I love that story. Part of this tradition is the natural and outdoor approach of some Germans who came over to settle this area in Pennsylvania in the, in the 1660s and later. And that's how far back my mother's family goes. I've traced them back to the 1660s. In fact, there were a large number of German immigrants who fled religious persecution in Germany. They went to America in the 1700s and 1800s, to Pennsylvania specifically, and among them, the so-called Pennsylvania Dutch, which included Mennonites, Reformed German, Amish, and other Protestant groups such as Lutheran, which we were. Why are the Pennsylvania Dutch called so when they're actually German? That's an article I've included in the show notes because I couldn't resist. I always thought the Pennsylvania Dutch were called that because people called them the Pennsylvania Deutsch, which is the word for German in German. But that's not why. Um, when people came from the area that is now called Germany, it wasn't Germany yet. And the whole area was called Dutch, like not just Amsterdam or Holland, but the whole area, like there were palinates and kingdoms and it was a loosely connected network of regions. So they called that whole area, including Germany and Holland and I think part of Austria, they called it Dutch. So if you were Dutch, you were from that area. So that's why they're called the Pennsylvania Dutch. And it's it's a slightly different word in German. I don't remember what it is. If you want to read it, it's in the show notes. Um, they came to Pennsylvania because William Penn had created an atmosphere of religious freedom and tolerance. This is a very long-winded way to say that my grandmother had good care and was not subject to abuse that I know of. They were unusual in that part of the country at that time. As I researched this article, I discovered a whole trove of research about Pennsylvania Dutch folk remedies. Using a potato to get rid of a wart sounded familiar to me. I think a lot of traditions have this. Of course, herbal cures were used too, and Germans brought them to Pennsylvania when they immigrated. Back to my mother's, mother's story, my grandma. The small world of the German town in Pennsylvania could be oppressive though, if you were a creative type, and I believe my grandmother found it so. My mother had mentioned that my grandfather was harsh and even would throw dinner plates against the wall if the food was cold when he got home. Truly abusive if this is true, which I think it is. He had quite the temper. He was known for it. 
So the environment wasn't great for my grandmother, and I think it helped her mental illness manifest. That is what the doctors told my mother when my grandmother had to be readmitted in 1959, that her illness was caused by her environment. It at least contributed to it. It brought it out. Luckily, when they were small, my mother and aunt were able to live with my great-grandmother, my mother's paternal grandmother, who lived nearby. They lived with her and their father for the six years that their mother was in the hospital. I knew Grammy Leister, as we called her, until she died when I was 10 in 1968. And my brother and I adored her. She had mellowed by then because she was quite harsh and exacting with my mother and my aunt. My mother was a creative kid, spacey and messy, and my great-grandmother saw it as her duty to rectify this. There were tough moral comments, too. When my, my, when my mother didn't make her bed, my great-grandmother would tell her, only sluts don't make their bed. The German culture's emphasis on cleanliness and order was difficult for my somewhat wild and creative mother. My aunt was more buttoned up and did not suffer my great-grandmother's wrath as often. My mother sought refuge by visiting her great-grandmother, Grammy Leister's mother, Amelia Millie Adrain, who lived until 1954. I was born just four years later. Darn, I missed her by four years. I would have had a great-great-grandmother, at least for a little while. Millie was bedridden later in her life, but she loved books and encouraged my mother to read. Grammy Leister, of course, thought books were just a big waste of time. The community was not supportive at all. In fact, parents told their children they could not play with my mother and her sister anymore. It was the 1940s and people were suspicious and fearful about mental illness. Luckily, they had each other and their family to watch over them, however imperfect they were. So when I think of Mother's Day, I often think about how I had this wonderful mother who somehow did not let her early circumstances interfere with being a giving, loving mother and how grateful I am. My mother did have her own demons and experienced depression and anxiety. We didn't call it that then. Back in the 1960s and 70s, people just coped by keeping busy, quote unquote, or drinking, but would get worse. Not until they fell apart would anyone notice and treat them. We called it, quote, having a nervous breakdown, unquote, which is just a huge, you know, bucket term for like everything. There was very little awareness of mental illness or how to detect it. I think everyone got Valium or something. However, I also think of my grandmother and how hard her life was and how I wish I had known her. No one spoke of her after she died except for my mother, who did tell me stories about her, which I clung to. My grandmother was robbed years of her life. I feel like I would have loved being with her. I feel like I got the gift of writing from her. No one else in the family on either side writes. So my sympathy for people with less than perfect mothers is big. And for those with abusive or cold mothers or mothers who abandon them, there are some adult children who are grieving the mothers they never got to have and the life they didn't get. I say happy Mother's Day and bless all mothers, but I don't assume you had a great time and I don't worship all moms. They are complicated and human and it's not simple for sure. So happy Mother's Day to you and yours. And if you had a great mom, be thankful. And if you still have her, spend time with her, please. And if you didn't have a great mom, I see you. And here's a hug. Thank you for listening to The Storied Human. I really wanted to share this personal story about why I have conflicting thoughts about Mother's Day. And that, you know, as I get older, I really appreciate 
that my mother had to overcome a lot to be a good mom. So it means so much to me that she was. And my brother and I agreed when we lost her that there wasn't anyone quite like her, but that we felt she filled us up with her love and we would go out in the world and be okay. And that's what happened. So thank you, mom. And my love to all of you, mothers or nurturers. Have a good one.